Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Thank you for downloading this podcast. Share your business story with us and we could be giving you the advice and support you need to take it to the next level. 702 Cape Talk Business Accelerator with Ned Bank. 702 and Cape Talk. The Naked Scientist. Good morning to you, Chris. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Reedy. Good morning, everybody. Well, we do start, as we have for the last couple of weeks, on the serious note. In New York, a doctor has confirmed, it's been confirmed a doctor is, is infected with uh, Ebola. It doesn't look as if the situation is getting better, uh, Chris. No. Well, I mean, we'll have to watch and wait what happens with this, because the mortality rate with Ebola is between 50 and 90 percent in all of the outbreaks that have happened in the last 40 years or so. So we have to wait and wait and see because it's almost on the sort of toss of a coin in some cases whether someone can survive. And at the moment, we don't have proven therapies for Ebola apart from good supportive care, giving people fluids, making sure they stay with adequate circulation and supporting their other bodily functions while their immune system recovers and then tackles the virus. There is some hope, though, because a very interesting paper has come out from Harvard University this week. Jim Collins and his colleagues have made a a big breakthrough in what might help us to diagnose cases of Ebola much more quickly, Mm. which on the ground will be really helpful in helping to control and contain the infection before it can spread anywhere else. Now, this is a, a dramatic breakthrough because it's so simple and so cheap that most people had never thought to do it. What have they done? Well, they have found that you can modify cells. We know about this already, but you can genetically modify cells to make them into sort of mini-sensors. In other words, you can make the cell engineered so that it can detect the genetic material of, say, Ebola. Mm -hmm. When it detects the genetic material of Ebola, the cell turns on a gene and changes colour. So it makes the the cell produce something that can change the colour of the environment. Now... If you were to try and move those cells around the world, you'd have to keep them alive and storing them would be a problem, transporting them would be a problem and so on. So what these guys did was they just busted open the cells and impregnated onto paper all of the machinery and the chemicals inside the cell, just in a tiny spot on Mm -hmm. normal paper, freeze-dried it and then it was fine. They left it in their desk for months, took it out, test it and when you add a drop of water, it just all that machinery comes back to life and can turn... The, or detect, say, the Ebola genetic material, produce a colour-changing pigment which makes the, colour, the paper go from yellow to purple. And mm-hmm. this, is, this is really powerful because you can literally, as Jim Collins said to me on the telephone earlier this week, it took us minutes and pennies, effectively. I mean, he's exaggerating slightly, but very, very cheap, very, very quick to actually make these little mini-sensors. And once they're stable on a piece of paper, you, you can just ship them all over the place. So you can have a paper-based test for Ebola, but then it goes beyond that because you can use exactly the same technology to look for antibiotic resistance in bacterial infections. You can look for fungal infections, other viral infections, even HIV. And they're also saying that they've got one which produces a quantitative colour change. Mm -hmm. So in other words, the colour change is graded and 
that's useful for measuring the, the amounts of things that are present. So they've got one that would detect how much sugar is in a person's bloodstream, which means you'd have a very, very cheap and low-cost glucose sensor for a diabetic. And then just on uh, the Canadian-made vaccine, I understand that a second clinical trial testing uh, is, 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 um, is underway. Do we know enough about it? Uh, what's the latest on that? Well, there are two vaccines, you're right, uh, which are being tr- developed and trialled. One of them is being made by GlaxoSmithKline. That's in Oxford in Britain. And they have already got that going into human patients. And the construct they're using is to take a chimpanzee cold virus, which has been disabled so it can't spread. They've put into that the gene from Ebola that Ebola uses to make its outer coat. The idea being that when the chimpanzee cold virus carrying this gene goes into a cell, it makes our body make not only chimpanzee cold virus-like particles, it will also make and display the surface characteristic of Ebola virus so that the immune system learns to respond to Ebola virus so that when the real virus comes along, you already have antibody and you already have cells capable of combating it. That's looking pretty successful. The Canadian intellectual property is actually being developed by a company called New Link, and they're in Iowa in America, And this uses a similar strategy to the approach being developed by GSK, but this time what they've done is to take a virus called vesicular stomatitis virus, and they've taken, again, a part of the outer coat of Ebola, and they're using that vesicular stomatitis virus to express the coat of Ebola and display that to the immune system. So both viruses use roughly the same strategy, but they're being developed on slightly different platforms or or virus backgrounds and they're both at roughly the same stages of development. GSK have reported that they're expecting to publish the outcome of their human safety trials Mm. by December and if those are successful obviously that proves that the vaccine they've made doesn't harm people but the next step will then be to ask well will it work in people? In a small trial in chimpanzees so far the GSK vaccine has been very successful. Let's go to the lines then on 021-446-0567 or double one double eight three zero seven zero two and 31702-31567. Your SMS is Mike in Cape Town. Hi. Hi there. Mm. Uh, I was keen to ask the scientist, uh, I've always wanted to build one. Is there an optimum height for Foucault's pendulum? Hi, Mike. So first of all, we should explain to people what Foucault's pendulum is. Yes, please. <laughs> uh, if, you, if you go to buildings that usually have an enormous... You need a vast atrium, don't you, Mike, for this kind of thing? It's yeah. the kind of building that you have to be uh, usually a Mugabe or someone like that to own a building that's capable of accommodating one. Um, but uh, I could say something about the president of um, South Africa as well, but never mind. No! Uh, if, you very, if you have a very big atrium you can, with a very high roof, you can put a steel wire coming down from the centre point and you put a very big weight on the end of it and you can swing a pendulum there and because the earth is turning then the pendulum as it swings backwards and forwards actually describes not just a backwards and forwards motion but it actually describes a circle and you can in in some museums they demonstrate this and you can put a series of little pegs or, or little skittles underneath the pendulum and you have a sort of spike sticking off the bottom of the pendulum and as it swings round backwards and forwards gently coming round in a circle during the day then it will hit the skittles and knock them over in turn and so people can see it's almost like a clock ticking you can actually see uh, the time turning as this thing slowly describes this circle. Now the rule about pendula and the reason that they're very useful is that there is a relationship governing how long they are 
and the period, the time that they take to swing backwards and forwards. So actually I don't think there probably is an optimum length. It probably comes down to if you've got a nice long cable, you can get a nice slow swing and it's going to have fairly low air resistance because the faster it turns, the more resistance it's going to generate through the air. So actually it'll slow down less. So I think probably a nice long thing, but I don't think there's a, a formula that says it has to be this long, Mike. But if, if anyone knows different, do mm. please tell me. Yes, on 021-446-0567-011-883-0702. Back right after this. 702 and Cape Talk. The Naked Scientist. 021-446-0567-011-883-0702. Let's go to Johnny in Yesteras. Hi. Hi, Ridi. Uh, hi, Nati Professor. Uh, <laughs> some some people talk to themselves. They, sometimes they argue with themselves. What goes on in their minds and why do they do this? When I'll we, listen on the radio, please. What happens when we talk to ourselves? Yeah, they yeah. do it loudly and, and so firstly, you know. Okay, all right. Hi, Johnny. Uh, I was going to say, do you, does he do that? But do you do that, Reedy? Do you talk to yourself? Yes. All the time. I do it all the time. All, all the, time. the time. And then sometimes I catch myself doing it and I think, did I just say that out loud in public? Because <laughs> you're sitting in a room with people and think, did I actually just talk to myself or not? And you're not sure if it was just an, an inner little conversationette that was going on or whether you actually did say it. Mm. Um, the, the reason for this, I think, is that when we are trying to reason something through yes you could send the messages just from one part of your brain to the other internally but sometimes speaking them when you speak you are putting words which are a a motor system you're putting them through your motor system in your brain so you're making the words come out and then you're able to hear them back and in certain circumstances you can actually gain extra information by doing that. It's a bit like saying, well, I could write this piece of music and just sort of write notes on a, on a page. Mm. But actually, to hear what it really sounds like, I'm going to play it on the piano. I think I know what it sounds like, but I'm, I'm going to play it and, and see how playing it actually adds the extra nuances to it. And I think sometimes hearing yourself saying something is a way of almost practising or rehearsing what the argument is that you're making and also testing that argument out on yourself Mm. because it's effectively reinforcing the connections inside your head which are sending your thoughts from one part of your brain to the other. That would be my speculation. I think also that people actually just sometimes it, it helps to give the information and an additional route into your brain from one region to another and that's why people do it but mm. we do regard it as socially rather unacceptable a because it's disturbing and distracting and b because people think you're weird <laughs> true but the strange thing with that is that every most people do it if everyone does it and yet when another person does it it's weird then that's also uh, quite funny uh, let's go to uh, is it Saheed in Norwood hi good morning guys how are you doing Fine, Sahid, your question, please. Great. My question is that I heard of a study just yesterday. Scientific research has shown that if you have a cat as your pet, it reduces the risk of heart attack by 40%. And I would like you guys to Google this and if your scientist has an answer to how, what is the relation between a cat and a human and how does it reduce heart attack, please. I'll listen on the radio. Thank you. Okay. Oh, I might get two cats and reduce my risk by 80%. That'd be even better, wouldn't it? Well, the evidence is people who have pets, actually regardless of what sort of pet they are, tend to report or record lower levels of certain diseases. 
Children with a dog in the house have lower levels of allergies. They have lower levels of gastrointestinal disturbance, surprisingly, probably as, as, a, as a consequence of lower levels of allergy. I think cats also help in that regard. People who have other pets also do have lower levels of blood pressure and they're less likely to suffer from obesity and diabetes. Why should this be? Well, it's not that something magical is going on. There's probably a number of factors. One is that if you have a pet, you probably have got the pet because you've got time for a pet. If you've got time for a pet, you've probably also got time for yourself. People who keep pets are therefore probably more likely to keep an eye on themselves and keep themselves in good shape. Oh. If you have got a pet, you've probably also got time to take it for an exercising walk or you're, you're going to do something with your pet and play with your pet. This is good exercise. This this in and of itself is beneficial to your health. It reduces blood pressure. It keeps people slimmer because if you're exercising, you're less likely to gain weight. If you're going on exercising walks, again, the, the exercise in, in and of itself is good for you. There's also evidence that when you stroke a pet, dog, cat, whatever, that it's relaxing because you're taking your mind off other worries and you're focusing on interacting with your pet in the same way that actually interacting in a loving, cuddling way with your partner or your children reduces your blood pressure. All of these things will have a positive health impact, so I'm not surprised at all to hear that statement. But that doesn't say if you're, if you're in the category of the sort of hectic lifestyle, um, probably very stressed up to the nines, and you go and get a cat, mm -hmm. your risk of mortality is not going to plummet tomorrow because your lifestyle probably won't change. And it's probably a reflection on people who have the time and already have the mindset, which means it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. They get a cat because they've got time in their life for the cat and for them. Mm -hmm. In response to the talking to yourself question, Cabello sent us a tweet, says, talking to yourself loudly is called losing your marbles. <laughs> yes, yeah. it is. Lebu in Pretoria, hi. Hi, guys. I just have a question for the naked scientist. I have a small patch on the scalp, and it's been growing. It's been there for about 10 years. I consulted, and I was told that it's called nervous sebaceous. I want to know what causes it, why is it growing, and should I have it removed? Nervous sebaceous, you said? Yes. Okay. Oh, hi, Labu. Well, without looking at it, I, I couldn't tell you what it is. Um, and it's, it's also unsafe to do sort of diagnostics of over the radio. So um, what, all I can say is it sounds like you're in good hands if you've gone to actually see someone who is a dermatologist who can look at that for you. That's probably the best thing for you to do because it would be dangerous for me to speculate about something I can't see. Sorry, I can't, I can't take any further than that. Mm, sorry, Lebu. And uh, even with our Healthy Lifestyle feature on a Wednesday, we always have pains to explain that it would be irresponsible for us to diagnose you on the radio. It's best to interact directly with a health professional. Let's go to, uh, is it Brian in Parkview? Hi. Brian in Parkview, is your radio on? Please switch it off. Um, okay, let me move. Away. Okay, while you do that, let's go to Sally in Chatwell. Hi. Hi there. Hi, Reedy, and uh, good morning to our naked scientists. Um, I have an ongoing argument between my husband uh, and myself as to whether adding salt to water A, increases the time in which the water boils and B, whether or not it increases the, 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 the temperature of the boiling water. I know it's been asked before, but I, I sincerely hope he's out in his car and listening. <laughs> I don't remember it. What's your husband's asked, name, Sally? Sally, what's, what's your husband's name? I beg your pardon? Your husband's name. David. David. Right, David. 
here's the answer for you. <laughs> it is and for Sally. David, yeah. Right. Well, I didn't. She didn't say who who said <laughs> what. So it's all we're all fair here. Uh, the answer, Sally and David, is that when you add a chemical to water, anything added to water, anything added to water except other water, will have the effect of increasing the boiling point. It will lower the freezing point. And if something has a higher boiling point, straightforward physics says you've got to add more energy to it to get the temperature to the new boiling point. And that means if you're adding energy at the same rate, regardless of whether there's salt in it or not, it must therefore take longer for it to boil if you've put salt in it because you've got to put more energy in in the first place to get the temperature higher. And as the temperature climbs a bit higher, it's going to lose energy faster too to the environment. So it will take longer for that reason too. It's a small increase, though. It's a, you know, it's less than a degree when you add some salt to your um, water. You're going to put your spaghetti in or something, but it does increase the boiling point. So whichever of you said that it increases the boiling point and the times to get to boiling is the correct one. So someone owes someone else a drink or to hang the clothes out from the washing machine or whatever it was the bet was about. <laughs> Good luck, saying. I'm sure you'll have a great weekend. Brian in Parkview, hi. Yes, good morning, morning. Uh, question about the Adam's apple. Do, do women have it as well, but it's not so prominent? And is there any other mammal or any other animal on the planet or even under the ocean which has something similar? Adam's Hello, apple. Brian. The Adam's apple is more pronounced in men just as an anatomical feature. It's, what, it's one of these sexual, sexual characteristics which is slightly different. There's a dichotomy between males and females. The structure you're referring to anatomically is called the thyroid cartilage. And if you go down and look inside the throat, it's, it's effectively the bit where your vocal cords are attached to, just sitting behind your thyroid gland. And in men, under the influence of testosterone, this structure, as we grow, develops more and becomes more prominent than it does in a lady. And this is why men have deeper voices, because the vocal fold, your vocal cords, which are the things which open and close and trigger the vibrations in the air to make the sounds that we use to speak, they are slightly longer and bigger in men than in women and bigger longer things have a lower frequency of vibration than smaller tighter things and as a result the pitch that a man's voice tends to run at and because the structure is bigger it amplifies lower frequencies better that's why men have deeper voices than women other animals have different so-called forms of sexual dimorphism if you look at say gorillas the male gorilla is absolutely huge mm. compared with the female gorilla if you look at a stag or, or reindeers and things, you will see that the males grow huge antlers on their heads and the females don't. Uh, and these characteristics are uh, under sexual control. They're driven by sexual hormones. So we're not the only animals to have these sorts of differences, but yeah. we're the only animals that speak in this way and therefore we're the only animals that tend to have such a pronounced difference in the, sh in the structure that we use to make our language. Very fascinating. Martin in Woodstock, hi. Hi, really, and naked scientist. Um, can overload of, of carbs and sugar cause itching? Because I've noticed I'm supposed to be on a diet, but every now and again I go on a binge and eat far too much of the wrong kind of food, and my lower legs get itchy. Okay, carbs and sugar, do they make you itchy? Well, it may not be so much the, the, the sugar, but there may be something else in the thing that you're having a binge with. Because mm -hmm. we, we do know that there are certain things that certain people uh, are allergic to 
or which can end up triggering skin reactions. You may, for instance, be binging on chocolate because when people go on diets and then they get quite hungry and they get a bit depressed or they've had a bad day and they think, I really need a pick-me-up, they might go for some chocolate. Chocolate's got a lot of milk in it if it's milk chocolate and milk chocolate's got a lot of lactose in it. Some people are lactose intolerant and in these individuals it can trigger eczema on the skin or skin reaction and that's itchy. So what may be happening is that the something else apart from just the carbohydrates, the sugars um, or the starches are going into you and then triggering that itching. So you might want to try what they call an elimination diet. Uh So fine, go and have a binge, but try binging on different things or binging on just one thing at once and see if you can put your finger on whatever the trigger is or if there's a family of things that always seem to trigger that reaction and then you might help to work out what it is. Yeah, good luck to you, Martin, and please come back to us with an answer. Or maybe don't binge at all, but I know that's easier said than done, especially when you are depriving yourself. Chris, we'll chat to you next week. Okay, thanks, Reedy. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye, and we're going to podcast this conversation with Chris. Thinking about your next career move in research and development? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK.